This is a Federal News Network podcast. When the new defense secretary is confirmed, he'll face an old problem, how to get clean financial audits of the department. One seemingly intractable issue is how to account for the intra-departmental transactions. There's a plan, though. It's one of several developing topics in this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook. Joining me with What You Need to Know, Federal News Network Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. And Jared, we'll start with you on that Pentagon's inability to get that financial clean audit. They've got about a $100 billion problem of intra-departmental transfers. Yeah, and that's just uh, 2019 numbers, according to the Government Accountability Office, taking another look at, uh, at, at, as you said, intergovernmental transfers. This is, for the most part, when one part of the uh, Department of Defense, quote-unquote, buys a good or service from another part, and it's uh, the the accounting systems just do a terrible job of, of keeping track of those kinds of transactions. As of now, each military service and a lot of the defense agencies have their own discrete systems, so that, for example, when the Air Force buys a bunch of spare parts, Parts from the Navy. Those are those transaction or that transaction is recorded in two separate systems. If somebody makes an error and records it for the wrong amount or records it in the wrong fiscal quarter, that shows up as a discrepancy. And the normal process that happens is the Defense Finance and Accounting Service tries to find data to reconcile the differences between those two figures or two timeframes. If it can't, the practice as of now has been to just decide which one to go with and 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 uh, change the other services number so that both figures match so they can close out the books for the year. Obviously not a thing that auditors are going to like, but it is very widespread. Uh, of the $112 billion in uh, of those reconciliations, $102 billion were completely unsupported, according to GAO. I can just imagine the briefing to General Austin when he gets in there, or then it'll be Secretary Austin trying to get that across with everything else going on at DOD. And it's only one of many problems. It's, a, it's just one of the dozens of material weaknesses DOD has. Um, they've got, uh, as we've talked about before, a long way to go before they get things cleaned up enough to pass a financial audit. And Scott, you're writing about the lethality training gap in the Navy. What's the issue there? Right. This is something that the Navy has created uh, as sort of a buzzword to talk about the training gap that's dealt with these sorts of new technologies that they're trying to uh, procure. If you remember to stay ahead of China and Russia, the military as a whole is trying to invest in these big, fancy uh, types of weapons like hypersonics or uh, the Constellation class frigate plans, um, you know, lots of, of these uh, far future sorts of things. But if the people aren't trained in it, well, you're going to have a certain, uh, especially a big problem. And, you know, as you know, they're trying to procure these quickly. So they want people to be able to jump right on these systems and use them as soon as they're out. Right now, the Navy is trying to work really hard to put these virtual training centers in their ports and also in their learning centers so that the really people can train on these systems before they're ever out in the, the w- real world. And then as soon as they, they are out in the real world, well, a sailor can jump right in that uh, Constellation class uh, engine room and pull all the levers he needs to or she needs to and, um, you know, press all the buttons they need to in order to really make sure that the nation is safe. And Scott, have the vendors of these systems, such as a new system on the new Constellation class frigate, aren't they part of the training, part of the contract? Yeah, we'd assume so. And I think really it's just a matter of getting the hardware out there for people and the software as well so that they understand how to do it. And I think also that lethality gap is a matter of, like I said, this quick sort of turnaround for procurement, making sure that people are ready 
in general before uh, you know this comes out. If you remember huge systems like the F-35 or whatever, we've been working on those for 20 plus years. There's a lot of lead time for that. But when you're working on something that maybe the lead time is, uh, you know, middle acquisition, middle tier acquisition sort of thing, uh, you know, you only have two or three years to train people and you might not be able to get as many people as you need to, uh, you know, to run that system. Yes, you quote Vice Admiral John Knoll, the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations. He mentions Constellation class frigate plans, as you mentioned, unmanned hypersonic, etc. What are some of the etc.? Do we know what he was referring to? Yeah, I don't think we know exactly what he's referring to, but I think it's safe to assume certain things. The military's put a lot of effort into AI. It's put a lot of effort into software. It's put a lot of effort into, into those sorts of things. So I think part of the reason is that he really doesn't know what's coming next, that the military's trying to procure these things quickly and get them in the hands of warfighters quickly. That might be a cyber sort of uh, technology, or it could be an actual hardware, or maybe a gun that can shoot around corners or, you know, whatever else uh, sort of uh, cool technology they come up with next. Yeah, a gun to shoot around corners. That would be quite the cat's meow. And Jared, I wanted to ask you about the Defense Information Systems Agency. Turns out an OTA fairly large transaction, other transaction authority they made last summer is showing its value now. Yeah, and this is called cloud-based internet isolation, which we've talked about before in, in the context of providing better security on DoD networks. The theory is you run your actual web browser in a commercial cloud environment instead of physically on your desktop or your laptop so that if you happen to run across any malware, it doesn't really matter because it has never entered defense networks. It's running in the cloud. It's not running on your local machine, so it can't really cause any damage. It turns out that throughout the course of this pilot, DISA has also learned that doing web browsing that way in the cloud instead of locally also dramatically reduces the amount of data that has to go back and forth through DOD's internet access points. And they think that because of that, once they've implemented this CBII solution, they'll have reduced the amount of money they have to spend on investments on building out that internet infrastructure by about $300 million. So a, a secondary benefit from this OTA that they weren't really thinking of when they when they first set about this process a couple years ago. And maybe a third benefit is if there is less data flowing up and down out of the cloud, the cloud costs themselves could be lower. It, it may be that you spend more money on cloud operations or hosting or whatever you want to call it, but 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 the, I think the big savings is not having to have as much capacity at those internet gateways between DoD networks and the commercial world, and not having to continuously scan so much traffic and have all, all these sensors. And mo- it's less workload for all the sensors and monitors across DoD networks to have to to, to scan things continuously to make sure there's no malware. Because again, all that stuff is dent outside of defense networks. And in a procurement sense, they have learned a lesson that on how DOD can, as you put it, move directly into production OTA contracts because those are normally awarded as prototypes. And the big question is, how do you graduate to production when there's an OTA acquisition involved? That's right. And this is an authority Congress granted in 2016, where they say, essentially, if the original prototype OTA that you awarded was competitive, then if you like what you see, you can move directly into a production OTA with one of the same companies without having to go through a competitive process again. This is the first time DISA has ever used that authority. It was for the CBII process. And they're really happy with the way this one worked out, explicitly because of what I said a minute ago. The thing turned out to have different features and, and sort of be a different product in the end than what they 
were first imagining. So that DISA folks say if they had set this out as a FAR-based procurement, they would have laid out the requirements at the front end, would have gotten really maybe not any of the bandwidth-saving benefits that we just talked about. And, Scott, the week coming up will bring the hearings for General Austin to be Secretary of Defense. You'll be covering those hearings. What should we expect? Well, I think the biggest thing to look at is if the Congress will pass a waiver that will allow General Austin to actually get into the position. Right now, he's only four years out from the military. You really need to be seven years out before you're really able to be considered as a defense secretary. So, you know, that's the biggest issue. They're also going to be talking about some of his work with the former defense contractors, make sure there's no conflicts of interest there. And uh, but, you know, I think for the most part, he's going to be pretty smooth sailing. He has a really good rapport with the Congress members and uh, has, has had a respected career. So the big debate is within Congress over his eligibility and that waiver, not so much over whether he's any good for the job. Right. It's more of a constitutional and, and law sort of debate rather than the human being himself. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. Check out their DOD's Reporter's Notebook. It's now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.